0: A wonderful day we thank you for your love we thank you for your blessings upon uh the the foundry and the financial uh uh blessing that today was but it was about way more than money father and we just uh, rejoice together with all those whose lives and hearts were touched and changed uh, lord this morning father we celebrate with lou on his birthday and and lord you said to uh to uh rejoice with those who rejoice but also to weep with those who weep and i, kn- I know that peyton's have. Heart is heavy tonight, but I also know that she has a hope in you, Lord, that um, enables her to grieve, but not as one who is without hope, and so thank you, Lord, for your hand upon her, upon her family, Lord, and we just pray that these next few days would be saturated with your peace and Holy Spirit, and, um, Lord, we just believe that, that um, Peyton's dad's with you, and, um, and that we'll see him again, and, um, and she'll get to introduce me to him one day, Father, and so we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that as we look into your word tonight, that you would help us bring our hearts to attention, Lord, to receive the things uh, that you have for us supernaturally, Father, not just, Lord, words and information and things that, you know, we can take notes about, but, Lord, that you would reveal to us and and touch us deep within ourselves, Father, um, with your truth and with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. All right. Um, Let's do this excuse me, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, now I'm going to do some reviewing, but that's going to be kind of our first new verse, and really this is not a new verse because we've we've referred back to it a few times for different purposes, um, but um, it'll be our first new verse uh, for tonight as far as um, our current subject. Our current subject is, man is a triune being, man is a triune being, this is the fifth and final answer that we're going to look at in at answering, you know, this question, what is man, not why, not who. Um, those things deal with purpose and identity. Um, what is man deals with our origin. And we've got to know where we came from to understand who we are and where we're going. All right. Jesus said he knew where he came from. He knew his origin. He knew who he was. He knew his identity. And he knew where he was going. He understood his purpose and, and destiny. Amen. And so there's a lot of people trying to live life on planet Earth without that information, without that understanding, and um, it's, it's uh, you know, this is one of the things that I've said a thousand times over the years, but, um, you know, the only option left, if we don't know these things, is to make it up as we go along, and, um, and we were never meant to live randomly like that, we were never meant to make our lives up as uh, we go along, you know, it's, um, it's sad to me the number of people who deliberately choose to uh, not believe there is a God, and, um, and the Bible says anyone who who confesses that or or, or you know has taken that position um, has literally put a blanket over the truth. In other words, it's it's um, they they couldn't stand it's so obvious they had to cover it up in order, you know, to keep functioning. Uh, is is how clear, because you know even when you look at creation in a broken fallen state um, we still see all kinds of order and purpose and meaning and structure um, within creation. It's got the fingerprints of God all over it. Now the Bible says that the same redemption that we've received will will in the future come to this planet. In other words we've been redeemed from the, the fall of Adam this planet has not yet been redeemed in other words it still labors under um, the curse that was brought upon it by Adam's sin. Um, but even in that fallen, broken state, um, everything around us, um, you know, it, it points to God as, as a creator, as a designer. And, um, you know, so again, if we are, and we are, if we are the crowning jewel of creation, then how much more, not how much less, how much more were we created by God for purpose and meaning and destiny. Amen. So we're answering this question, what is man? And this fifth and final answer is that man is a triune being. Um, We've been created in the image and likeness of God, which, as we learned in the fourth answer to that question, means more than to look like he looks. Um, But it also means to function the way he functions. And what we know of God is that God is three, yet he is one. Um, And he is one, yet he is three. Um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so when he created mankind, he used those plural pronouns. Let us make man, not let me make man. Let us make man in our image. Plural pronouns, us and our. So when God created you, he created you a three yet one being. He created you in his image and likeness. And so the three that are you, right, is you are a spirit. Well, let's just let's make it simple first. Um, the three that are you, spirit, soul, and body, okay? But I like to refine that one level in, and that is you are a spirit. This is the real you, okay? Um, and you possess a soul. Your soul is your mind, emotions, and will, the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. We'll get to this section uh, in the coming days, when we talk about the renewing of the mind. Um, and what we see then about the way we think, the way we feel, and the things that we choose, that it basically goes in that order. Um, sometimes I say mind and emotions just because that's how I learned it, you know, and I said it so many times that way for so many years. But the Holy Spirit really corrected me a, a year or two back, is that we should say it, mind, emotions, and will. I'm not splitting the hair, but, but the point being, thoughts determine emotions, emotions influence choices. Okay, So there is an order to that. Um, when we have issues, you know, like we have a hard time, and we'll get probably into this a little deeper tonight, but on a different level, but we talk about an inability to, to make the right kind of choices, to choose the things that God has for us, we see that there's often an emotional t- attachment or pull uh, in a direction that we no longer want to go, which is being driven by thoughts. In other words, it's thought driven. So you are a spirit. You possess a soul. Your soul is the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. And then we have the part of us that is our body, our flesh. Um, also, it's where our five senses um, reside in our in our flesh. Um, and of course, God created us with those five senses to enable us to function in this physical or created realm, north physical senses enable us to connect with and function in a physical environment so in the same way though faith is to our spirit what our senses are to our flesh and what i mean by that is faith enables you to connect with and function in the realm of the spirit in that environment in the same way that your five senses enable you to connect with and function in this physical realm you get that? I know I just kind of blurted it out there, but that, that's super-duper important right there. Um, let me say it again then, all right? So, faith is to your spirit what your five senses are to your body or to your flesh, okay? So, in order to understand faith, and for those of you who have been able to stay on, on Wednesday nights, you know that we've been looking at that verse, we walk by faith, not by sight. A lot of times we go to that verse, we go to that verse to understand what it means to walk by faith, But for the first time, for me anyway, that I've ever taught from this verse, we're actually teaching it from what it means to walk by sight, not because we're trying to learn how to walk by sight, but because so many people are walking by sight and don't realize they are. Yes? Okay. So walking by sight, just real quick, is when we walk by or go about life based upon the way things look, seem, and feel. We were not created to live by the way things look, seem, and feel, right? So... Let's go back to it then. Our physical body, five senses. So if we can, I think we all know what it is then, you know, to to live, you know, with our senses. So the reason I'm making this, again, we need to understand this, but also if we can understand how our five senses connect us to and enable us to function in the physical realm, this puts us in a better position to understand what faith is really supposed to be about. And faith is to our spirit, what five senses are to our flesh in the sense that faith enables us to connect with the realm of the spirit and function in the spiritual realm so some people say well does that mean it's like a sixth sense you you know you could say it that way the sixth sense but not another sixth physical sense it's a sense all in of its own in that you know for instance the eyes of faith you ever heard that expression the ears of faith you know Jesus was talking about people who had ears but couldn't hear didn't mean they were deaf they couldn't hear what the spirit was saying. Because you hear that by faith, right? You underst- there's an understanding that comes by faith. There's an understanding that comes from the five senses. But then there's an un- another understanding that comes by faith. We can understand physical things with the five senses, but we cannot understand spiritual things with the five senses. Yes? And what's the real you? The real you is spirit. <laughs> so do you see how handicapped we are? Even if we you know, have 20-20 vision, perfect hearing, so forth and so on, right? Um, but even if, in other words, if all of our five senses are working perfectly. We're still handicapped if, we're not, if we don't know how to live by faith because faith is what connects us to that higher and greater realm. So the three that are you, spirit, soul, and body, you are a spirit, you possess a soul, uh, and that is contained within a physical body. I like to call this your earth suit, right? It was formed from the dust. If we pass before Jesus returns in the rapture, our bodies will return to the dust. But this is not not the real you. This is not the real you. Okay, Paul said that he, he, right, I, he said it this way. I, I'm pointing to the Spirit now for those who are listening by recording. I bring my body under subjection. I will not let it rule me. He spoke of his body in the third person. He spoke of his flesh... (laughs) As you know, an entity that was not him. We'll build up to this, but let me just jump ahead. All right, he says, "If I sin, it's not me that does it. Not me that does it." That's, you say, "Oh, pastor, that that sounds like denial there to me." And that's not denial. It's truth. It doesn't change the fact that there's still consequence to the sin, but he's recognizing that sin. This part of him is, is impenetrable to sin. Sin can't touch this. Okay? So if I sin, it's not me that does it. You got it? Okay. All right. So I said in the beginning of, of this section last week that an understanding of spirit, soul, and body will answer a thousand questions for you. And so if you don't understand spirit, soul, and body, when Paul says, when I sin, it's not me that does it, you'll just think he's crazy. In other words, you won't won't have the ability, uh, the the foundation in place to understand what he's talking about. Or when he says, I bring my body under subjection. If you think you are your body, then what is that, right? I will not let my flesh rule me. Because he recognized this was the real him, okay? And this was the necessary part for him to exist on planet Earth. But he was to steward this. He was to discipline this. He was, by the Holy Spirit's help, to control this self-control mm. right okay amen so 1st Thessalonians 5 and 23 says may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and so in this passage we see each three named specifically and we see the Greek words that are translated pneuma translated English spirit suche is translated English soul soma translated English body so we say, may your entire spirit, entire soul, entire body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go ahead and introduce this because I want, you to, I want to plant this thought or water this thought already in your heart. When Jesus came to redeem us, came to save us, He came to save the whole person. You know, a lot of times people try... To take what the Bible teaches us about physical healing, for example, and, and they, they try to say, well, that's talking about a spiritual healing. Now I'm not trying to stir anybody up tonight. There's no such thing really as a spiritual healing. Because we didn't need to be healed spiritually, we needed to be resurrected spiritually. We were spiritually dead. We didn't need to be healed. We needed to be raised from spiritual death, right? But even then, if you if you go all the way back to the Old Testament and, and and carry it all the way through to the New Testament, if you do the research on these words. Um, You know, even the words like where it says he's delivered us from our griefs, those words are talking about physical ailments. So the good news, of course, is that Jesus came to deliver us and he came to heal us of all our diseases, okay? So anything from spiritual death to mental illness to emotional instability to uh, a lack of a sound-mindedness, all the way into any and every kind of physical ailment or condition, uh, and again, even if we brought these things upon ourselves, isn't it funny how you know, we, we allow the devil to deceive us into thinking that you know, if it's just somebody who randomly got some kind of sickness, then, then Jesus you know, could potentially heal that person. But if we've abused our body and, and have caused damage to our body because of our own choices, that somehow that excludes us or exempts us from healing. And that's absolutely not what the Bible teaches okay that kind of that kind of thinking is workspace thinking right which means you got to earn deserve be good enough to get your healing from God as opposed to humbling yourself and receiving it from him as a gift so anyway Numa, sutra soma um, all speaking of the um, uh, three dimensions uh, that are um, you praise God and so we use the example, last part of review, we use the example of a hand in a glove. And that, that really helped me when the Lord, that came later. It was many years ago when we first drew these stickmen on the back of an envelope. But the, 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 the hand and glove thing came later. And so I know that I'm not, I know this is kind of a, a challenging part here. And praise God, if, if you have questions, I, I certainly want you to ask them. But remember, the mind and the brain are not the same thing. The brain is fearfully and wonderfully created by God, um, and it is a glove that God then put the, inserted the hand of your mind into. So The physical body was created by God in such a way as to give expression to the spirit and soul that's within it. As amazing as the human body is, right, it, it really is just an interface um, for your spirit and soul. And of course, sin, we'll talk about this later, but Sin brought chaos within mankind. In other words, I think, I think we've said this before, but let me, let me just say it again, okay? Um, matter of fact, I'm certain we have, but let me say it again. Remember, it wasn't until Adam and Eve sinned that they even realized they had a body. As we've become so flesh-dominant, so flesh-controlled, so flesh-manipulated, you know, that that is a hard concept for us to understand. Um, and I point out to you that when the Apostle Paul went to the third heaven, he has no recollection of whether or not his body went or stayed. In, in other words, whether his spirit, soul came out of his body and went to heaven and his body was just like taking a long nap or something, or if his body was with him. And You think, well, <laughs> how could he not know that? It's because in, in that environment in heaven, he was so conscious of his spirit that he had no understanding or, or awareness of his flesh. Listen, I don't, I don't know about you all, but it's like Paul said, he, my paraphrase, okay, I don't have a death wish, but I sure am looking forward to that day. <laughs> it's like Paul said, look, I'm not, I'm not wanting to die. I'm not wanting to step out of this tent and, and be unclothed he said, I just long for the day when the, the body that God has already prepared for me, comparable to the spirit and soul inside of this earthen vessel, uh, th- that I'm in it, that I've moved into that permanent dwelling place. He called that body a house. He called this body a tent. Okay, So, um, you understand. I, I hope you understand what I'm saying there. In other words, that's promising to me. And remember, the Bible says that God understands your flesh, that it was made from the dust and is a threat. It's not an excuse to sin. We never need an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse to sin, but it, but it should bring us comfort when we, when we do sin that He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, cleanse us from any unrighteousness, but also that He understands that, that we're in a very unique time frame of our existence, uh, burdened down by a temporary physical body that we will one day be free from. That we will one one day not have to deal with anymore. All right? But let me go back to it. Adam and Eve, they were so spiritually aware that they didn't realize they had a physical body until they sinned. Then like Shazam were naked, right? Now I've heard some people say they were clothed with the glory of God. I believe that. I've even preached that. But there was there was no physical clothing on them. The the Shekinah glory, the, the spiritual materiality of God's spirit was upon them. I'm I'm fine with all that. But of course, you know some of you know what I'm about to say, okay? We have come so far from that now that that even Christians are so physical and fleshly aware that they don't realize they have a spirit. They've lost so much, you know, so much lost touch with their spirit that they don't even realize or understand that they have one when this is the real you, okay? This is the real you. We're transitioning. Remember we said that these questions need to be answered in order. What what am I? What are you? Who are you? And then why are you? O- obviously, understanding our purpose and destiny and fulfilling it is um, is the you know is, is what this is all about, right? <laughs> you know, put your right foot in, take your right foot out. It's what it's all about. Amen. Um, so, but we can't start there because you, your purpose is so grand that if if you don't understand. Who you are, it'll never make sense to you, but who you are is so grand, it'll never make sense to you until you understand what you are, all right? And so with that is gonna come a very important teaching on identity, okay? Who you really are. This is who you really are. Remember we said one of our favorite ways to define discipleship. Discipleship is what? Finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. So You became something here that you, You don't even know yet. And you've been given things here that belong to you right now. The Bible says, um, unless the Holy Spirit helps you see them, you'll never know what has been, not what will be, what has been given to you already. So this is the real you. And the more we understand that, the more we recognize that, the more our minds are renewed to that, right? The less and less the things of the flesh, um, you know, control us and, and drag us down. There is certainly lots in all of Paul's writings, really. You know, there, there are certain uh, and, so, and we'll work our way through those in the days ahead. Um, but, you know, absolutely. Even even Jesus, remember, he became flesh, right? Uh, in all points like as we are, uh, yet without sin. But, uh, you know, he, he understands these things, all right? OK, so I asked you a few minutes ago, Hebrews four. I know we looked at this passage when we looked at the Word of His power in probably a time or two since. But let's go back to it one more time tonight. Hebrews 4 and 12, it says this, For the Word of God is living and powerful. For The Word of God is living and powerful. I want to say that a time or two because you know, we, we can't lose sight of that now. All right, we, this, this isn't just any old book that's on any old shelf that you can read any old time. Right? This is the Word of the living God. And his words um, become the conduit through which his power flows um, into your heart, into your mind, into your body. He sent his word and healed them. Um, those who find his words, the Bible says, they'll be helped all your flesh. Um, so the very life of God, I know, I know I've heard some of the ladies in class uh, uh, talk about life group, and they were on that uh, part in life group where they're talking about the, the tree of life. And, and his words are this tree of life. In other words, the same life that was in that tree is in, those wo- is in his words. It's, in, it's, it's right here. It's right here. His word contains his life. So his word, the word of God, is living and it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner, Of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, again, there's lots and lots and lots of truth here. This time we go to this verse because I want you to pay close attention to its mentioning of spirit, soul, and body. And the Word of God is able to divide the part of you that is soul from the part of you that is spirit and even penetrate not just to the bone, but to the joint and the marrow in the bone, All right. Now, that, that's, that's obviously got all three covered, spirit, soul, body, and the very depths. Remember bone marrow is made in the bone, life's in the blood, that's where physical life springs forth from the bone, okay? So, you know, we even say, like in our vernacular, we would say something like, man, to the bone, right? You know, we're talking about something that, that penetrates all the way to the deepest part of us, okay? So this is what the Word of God is able to do um, in our hearts, in my life, in your life. Man, there's all kinds of things firing off in my spirit right now. Let, let, me, let me just take one quick little side journey here, okay? When we understand that the physical issues that we have in our lives, problems, uh, habits that we can't control, so forth and so on, the Bible says again in Proverbs 4 that these things spring forth, right? The issues of life spring forth from the heart, from the inward man, okay? Guard your heart. That's why he says you've got to guard your heart because Satan's trying to get to your heart because your heart is, is, is a well of life, it's a life pump. And, um, and so from your heart spring forth, Um, life's issues well um, you know there are certain things that we have access to there are certain things that are within our control you know that we can quote unquote do something about but when it comes to the internal workings of your existence okay um, dear friend and she's doing better thank God um, she had open heart surgery Last Wednesday, supposed to take her off the ventilator four hours later. They finally got her off the ventilator last night. Um, But she's doing better, Tracy Smith. And so thank God for Tracy. Went to see her today, and uh, she's still a little loopy, amen. (laughs) But um, anyway, good things. They were getting her up today, going to get her. So obviously in this case, this is extreme, physical heart. They were able to open up her chest and literally go in there, stop her heart, fix some arteries, restart it again. Um, What we're talking about here, the heart of man, we're not talking about a physical organ. We're talking about everything in you that is not matter, you know, that is not physical matter. Um, this, is, this is where our problems um, originate. This is, this is where uh, stuff's broken. Are you with me, right? These are the things that, that are not right within us that are causing, you know, different problems and issues in our life reality. But yet again, you know, we can't stick our hand down our throat and fix things in our soul um, and adjust things in our spirit. We need God to help us with this, right? Yes, we need Him to help us with this. So this passage to me is such, first of all, beautiful passage, period. Even how it's worded, it's just beautifully written. I mean, the Holy Spirit's a genius, right? Using the instrumentality of the writer of Hebrews, I believe Paul. may not have been Paul, but nonetheless, whoever wrote this Was gifted by the Holy Spirit and also, you know, dispositionally gifted as a writer. So the flow of it is beautiful. It's it's a beautiful verse to quote. There's power in it. I recommend you memorize it. Um, But, you know, this passage, it just leaks hope. I mean, it, you know, because the Word of God can get to the deepest part of us and because it's living and powerful and because it understands things about ourselves that we don't even understand, right? And that we can take the Word of God into our system, into our three-dimensional being, and the Word of God will make it all the way down to the marrow in the bone. It, it's, a, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It, it's able to separate the part of you from soul that, that that's that soul and the part of you, I'm, I'm sorry, the part of you that's soul from spirit, and the part of you that's spirit from soul. All right, let me, before I get too far down this road, let's let's take the surface stuff first, okay? Remember, I told you last week that some folks who insist on believing that man is not a three-dimensional being, but a two-dimensional man, two-dimensional being. And there are people, for whatever reason, and maybe you've never heard of it, it doesn't bother you, Or, but there are people who exist on the pneuma and the suche being the same thing. But here we clearly see that the Word of God is so sharp and so precise that it can cut, surgically cut, and, and dissect the part of you that is suche from the part of you that is pneuma. And those are the words that are used here, two different words, two different definitions for these words, okay? Because what we know, and we we touched on this a little bit last week when we talked about psychosomatic, you know, the the mind, body, and how those things are um, affected. I'm not going to try to go back down that road tonight. But the reality of it is this, you know, it's easy to say hand in glove, and one day should Jesus tarry, and, and we go by way of the grave, all right, then. He will gently slip your spirit and soul out of of your earth suit, right? (laughs) And and you'll be absent from the body and present with Him. But other than that, um, the reality is the part of us that is spirit, the part of us that is soul, the part of us that is body is so intertwined, so interrelated, so interconnected, um, each part influencing the others, uh, that it's, it's sometimes very, very difficult for us. Um, I'm gonna not even going to say, apart from the Word of God, it is impossible for us to distinguish the difference between these three. Now, let's, let's talk about this practically then. When we study the Scriptures, we need to pay very close attention when the Bible's talking about your spirit. Because the Bible's talking about your spirit, there's a good chance that it's not talking about your soul. Right? There are a few exceptions. We'll get to those. When we're studying the Scriptures and the Bible talks about your soul, we need to pay very close attention. Because he's talking about a distinct part of you. In other words, he's trying to help you understand You know, these verses are geared towards the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. While these verses, speaking of your spirit, is talking about this so, do you understand, when we say it's, it's, it's able to divide, I'm, I'm not trying to take the mystery out of this and make it practical only, because certainly there, you know, the Word of God is, functions on levels, and, and, I mean, for goodness gracious, created the world with His words, you know. So there's power in them. I'm not trying to take that mystery out of it, but I'm just talking about in a practical sense. As we study the Scriptures, the Scriptures will identify for you, uh, you know, the part of you that's spirit, the part of you that's soul, and the part of you that's, that's physical body and the answers that God has provided for each of those dimensions. Okay, let's try to illustrate it this way. Jesus, identified by John as the Word Made Flesh, capital W, right? Yes? So, we've tried to, in the best way we know how, in human language, explain what that means. And Jesus was, because words are expression of thought, um, you take what's in your mind, you put it out publicly by speaking words, so Jesus is the word made flesh means he was a living, breathing expression of the divine mind, the divine intelligence. You know what God thinks? You know how he thinks? You know, just look at the life of Jesus. Jesus is living it for you to see, okay? It's not just he opened up his mind for you to have a glimpse in, right? But he sent his mind out, his, you know, via the, a living, breathing expression of his thoughts in the form of Jesus. So Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Let me just say a few things here, okay? Anything that Jesus can do, his word can do. Amen? Think about that for a minute. We know that Jesus healed. Well, he also sent his word and healed. Anything Jesus can do, his word can do. Amen. Jesus, you know, cast demons out of folks, the word of God, so forth and so on. Okay, Jesus, you know, all these different things, same power in him, same power that's Behind his word, right now. We see Jesus ministering to people. Had spiritual problems, right? Yeah, yes. People that had mental, emotional problems, uh, problems with sin, making bad choices. Um, Also, people that had issues in their flesh, all kinds of sickness and disease. To me, some of the ones that are that are. You know, really speak to this point was that on occasion people would come to Jesus and um, it, would, it would appear that they were demonically possessed meaning they had something wrong in their spirit but Jesus recognized that it was not demonic possession okay but some type of, like, organic meat computer injury, uh, problem from birth, what have you. So it would not be a demonic spirit causing those symptoms, but it would actually be like epilepsy or something in, in their brain that was causing that. So, you, you know, I'm sure there's people sitting back going, man, Jesus fixing to cast the devil out of that dude right there. Look at how he's, look at how he's shaking. Look at how he's carrying on. Jesus didn't cast the devil out of him. He healed him. Then there would be people who would come to Jesus, classic symptoms, classic symptoms of sickness, illness, and disease. And in that case, either way, healed means they were made better, made whole. But in this case, Jesus did not so much heal them as the Bible says that he cast out a spirit of infirmity. You you follow what I'm saying here? So in some cases, you know, it was a spiritual problem that presented, use a medical term, as a physical problem. Other times it was a uh, uh, so a, a, a spiritual issue, demonic possession, that came across as um, something you know physical. But Jesus cast out a spirit. Then there were times when it was clearly they thought uh, you know a physical condition, and Jesus says, "No, you know it, this is." I said it backwards, didn't I? You understand? Are you following me left? No. Okay. I'm going to get this right because we need to. So. Jesus recognized it to be a spiritual problem, although it looked like a physical problem. Or other times, it looked like a physical problem, but was actually a spiritual problem, and Jesus realized it. Bottom line, most importantly, is that Jesus was able, the Word made flesh, was able to recognize, diagnose, address, and correct the problem, whether it was spirit, whether it was soul, whether it was physical, or whether it was a combination. That's quite often. Remember, we talked about the psychosomatic uh was a combination um of two or more of these yes john wow thank you brother mm-hmm. wow although brother you Genuine, sincere, pure in heart, but you could have laid your phone down and blasted us with that, and we all went, dude, he is so smart, right? But yeah, he was reading it from his phone. He Googled it. Amen. Amen. And of course, we have, I don't know if they had terms for that kind of stuff back in Jesus' day or not, but I guess the key thing I'm wanting you to see here is the Word of God is living and powerful, and, and the Word of God is able to identify internal issues within us and correct those internal issues that's the power that we see the Word of God is able to to differentiate to dissect the part of you that is soul from the part of you that's spirit and it's also able to penetrate to the joints and even the marrow and in this last part a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Um, <clears throat> this means that the Word of God knows what you're thinking. Think about that. He knows what, all knowing. He knows what you're thinking. Now, why is that important? Because thinking's a lot of our problem. Our wrong behavior is because of wrong thinking, right? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't really understand even if and I, I'll speak from myself here for a moment even if there's some life-controlling issue and I know that there's a belief or a, or a thought pattern that's behind it that's that's fueling it, that's feeding it that's causing it to continue in, indefinitely even even I know that I may not know what that thought pattern is or what that false belief is obviously we've got to identify that's you know I, so many times I've heard people over the years, heritage, foundry, you know, whatever. Got to get to the root of my problems, Pastor Mark. Well, thinking more than likely, if you, if, unless you're not born again. But if you're born again, then thinking pretty much is going to be the root of your problem, right? So the, whole, the Holy Spirit, obviously, but also the Word of God knows what you're thinking. And when it talks about the intents of the heart, listen to this one. Now, this one will this give you some hope as well. It's not just that he knows what you're doing. So many times we hear that sermon, right, God's watching, God's watching, right? It's not just that he's watching what you do, but the Word of God knows why you do what you do. That's the intent, right? Intention is not just what you do. Your intentions are why you did what you did. The Word of God understands that. Again, not just like, okay, the Word of God's super smart like John Smith, you know, give us that medical ideology, whatever, you know, I'm just kidding, brother. In, in other words, it's not just smart for smart's sake. The Word of God understands this for our benefit's sake, to help us with this, to fix this in us. Amen. Do you see now, and I know we've covered this before, but let's just go, let's pull. I like to always keep pulling things up on the table. Yes. I reacted badly to an individual. Someone said something to me, and I reacted badly to it. Okay. Somebody said to me, "It just—I guess—because I couldn't do nothing about those situations, and I guess because the environment that I'm in, it just—it really bothers me sometimes when I react the way I do." But it was—you know—I felt it was they were somebody else's situation, but I just happened to witness them, and they just built up, built up, built up, so I just reacted. I—and I I say this often: seeing it's half the battle, right? Because think how many years you were blinded to that, and or didn't even care why you acted that way. Amen, 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 amen. I I won't, I won't go too, I won't go too far down this road. But just hear one that was been very powerful in my life over over the last few weeks. Um, You know, one of the one of my, um, you know, why I act like it's a it's a big secret because anybody that can see me knows. But um, you know, is is overeating and my weight and things of this nature and so you know I asked the Lord a few years ago and one of the things that he identified for me was that I believed it was too hard and that was true and some of you that have been in heritage for a while you've heard me say that but you know just seeking the Lord you know I was, I was talking to the Monday group about this Monday I said listen now you know what we need more than anything is the light but sometimes we run from the light because we you know the light sometimes exposes things that we don't want exposed. you know so this is what I know about the Lord, okay? If you, if you seriously want to know, he'll tell you. And he'll do it gently, right? Um, and I won't, I won't go into all the things he told me. But this is one of the things he told me, right? And it hit me right between the eyes. He, I said, you know, Father, what's, you know, help me with this. He said, son, you believe you can eat anything you want anytime you want, and it won't hurt you. I'm like, will, will it? You know, it's like, you know, it's like, duh, you know. I mean, it sounds so simple. It's kind of a life, life awakening moment for me. Again, it's like, you believe you can eat anything you want anytime you want it, and it, and it won't hurt you, and it will. All right? Duh. But that's the lie. See, if I, I didn't realize I was believing that, but man, I sure was. I sure was. Intent. Do you see? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What's the intent behind this? All right? Obviously, I love food, that's, duh, you know, who doesn't? I guess some folks don't, but you ain't never had none of my cooking if you don't love food. No, I'm just being silly. Amen. Praise God. That was arrogant, so forgive me, Lord. that was arrogant. All right, so, amen. So, well, I'm a pastor. Say, I have to make jokes about it. Ha, 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 Spiritualizing my dysfunction, right? Well, them are line of duty calories, right? You know, I'm just staying home with you tomorrow night, I guess, brother, that's what they said last time you wouldn't be tempted by the food or whatever. That's what Diane said anyway. I'm like, you know, tomorrow night this is what's going to happen, right? Every sweet little lady in this church is going to walk up to me with a piece of their dessert. Oh, pastor I made this just for you. I'm like, thanks. Thanks. Don't you tell them it's going in the garbage now. Alright, that's just between me and you, but I'm, it ain't going in this garbage can anymore. I promise you that. This isn't a garbage can. It, it's been treated like that, but it's not anymore. Amen? Okay, praise God. Too far down that road. Let's go back. <laughs> All right, praise God. That was on tape two, wasn't it? Okay, amen. Good times. Good times. Well, anybody that's spiritually mature enough to listen to this one all the way through will not be offended. How about that? That was on tape two, wasn't it? Yeah, okay, just making sure. I know that I sure was. Can I tell you one more? I tell you one more, this one got my attention even more than that one. He said, son, the devil's trying to kill you with food. He's trying to kill you with food. (laughs) I'm like, uh, ouch. Anyway, pray for me. Praise God. I'm serious. Pray for me. Amen. Any means possible. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, heroin overdose pretty quick. Cheeseburger overdose slow and painful. Behind me, ice cream devil. No, see again, again, he created things for us to enjoy, right? But the devil's going to take whatever and try to make what God created to be a, a a blessing to us and make it a curse and use it against us if if we don't listen to Him and follow Him. So anyway, Amen. Yeah, and would you know it it affects the same neurotransmitters Uh, some of you heard me do this before right double bacon cheeseburger boneless skinless chicken breast right it's because the high fat high carbohydrate high see that's the other thing thank God for his mercy okay I'm not trying to act like some genius but I've I know a whole lot about health and nutrition and all this stuff just like you know physician heal thyself right do what you know but anyway praise God but part of, we call them comfort foods in the South, right? Macaroni and cheese, fried chicken, fried okra, right? All stuff. It's because those things affect the same neurochemicals that, that opiates affect. You know, they trigger the same, not the same amount, but they trigger the same dopamine. Amen. So that's why they're. Any, anyone that's ever been through heroin addiction I, I you know to try to compare that but I promise you sister I've, I've been in withdrawals from sugar yeah you have I mean it, you feel dizzy I'm sweaty headache sick at your stomach it's, it, it's not that times I guess 10,000 is heroin withdrawals but it's the same symptoms on a, on a smaller level on a smaller level yes Judith? Amen. Amen. It feels good to say it, doesn't it? He was trying to kill you with food too, wasn't he? <laughs> but see, the devil can't. He, you know, God loves us. Amen. Now, I, I can keep poking that stuff in my mouth, you know what I'm saying? But it, it's, um, I feel better too. Thank you, Judith. Amen. Praise God. God is good. He loves us. He wants what's good for us. He wants what's good for us. He did create it for us to eat, right? But not... Appetites. Appetites, the way they affect us. Thank God for His mercy. Amen? All right, let's get back on I was going to say on track. I think we're on track, but just, amen, let's be, let's get back on the notes, how about that, amen. All right, John chapter 10, verse 10, let's go there. John 10, verse 10. Um, thank you, Jesus. All right, so... Um, We've got other purposes for this drawing, but the Bible has a lot to say about the heart of man, the heart of man, and so by definition, the heart of man is, and this is a little wordy, okay, it's the totality, that means all, all of, the totality of the immaterial man. So, there is a part of you that is physical matter, there's a part of you that is spiritual materiality or would be considered immaterial. Not like, oh, that's immaterial, it's not important. No, extremely important. In this case, immaterial is more important even than material, if there's a such thing. All right? So, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about this part of you, okay? The heart, and this in the, uh, in the Greek, is the word cardia with a K. And uh, so I was, I was in the cardiac intensive care unit today, right? Cardiac, heart, the cardia. The cardia is the totality of the immaterial man so when we talk about the heart this really helped me I hope it's gonna help you okay we talk about the heart from the heart spring forth the issues of life out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks from the heart a man uses words to bring forth good things From the heart, a man uses words to bring forth bad or evil things. Okay, so the heart, the heart. What is the heart? Well, you know, the simple answer is it is the combination of the spirit and soul. It's the combination of the spirit and soul. Now, the good news, if you're born again, is that your heart is already halfway perfected. (laughs) Amen. So, because the spirit's willing, right? And the flesh is weak. And if our spirit's ever going to rule over and through our flesh, it's going to require cooperation with the other part of our heart, which is also known as our soul. Amen? So, to understand, like, we've been talking about faith on Wednesday night, Romans 10. Stay where you are in John 10, but Romans 10 says, with the heart man believeth. So, I like to paraphrase that verse. Like, sometimes people ask me, Pastor Mark, where does the Bible say uh, faith is a function of the heart? Well, faith is a function of the heart because with the heart man believeth. So, paraphrase from with the heart man believeth, we see that it's the heart... That, um, you know, is where faith functions, it's, it's, it's where faith works from, okay? Now, are you still with me? This is important, okay? So we're living by faith. When it comes to your born-again spirit, your born-again spirit believes everything God's ever said, ever done, ever promised, ever told you you could do. I mean, I mean, your your spirit's like sitting on G, waiting on O. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it it's not scared of nothing. It it's it's not intimidated by the devil. It's it's not even phased by death in front of you. It's it, you know, I mean, it's nothing moves it. You know, your born again spirit and God's spirit become one spirit. The Bible says, "Doth not yet appear what we shall be, but one day when we step out of this earth suit." We're going to look like Jesus because we are like Him. This part of you was born from His seed. And His seed of life re- abides, remains in your spirit. I mean, it's, again, some heavy stuff. So, it's, it's the mind part of us. It's the thinking part of us. Double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So, the idea, of course, is you know, this part of us believes God. This part's work in progress, amen? This part still... So we talk about the renewing of the mind, the reconditioning of the mind. What we're really talking about is this part being, you know, not just educated, but, you know, the Word of God, renewing, reconditioning, transforming our lives through this part of us being reconditioned. Reconditioned to what, right? The, the reality of this born-again spirit. The reality of... Who you are in Christ. So would the hope of the all the same Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if we go back to it, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit always operated in perfect agreement, perfect harmony. The Bible says they've always agreed, never disagreed, because they always prefer the other two before themselves individually. We talked about that. We talked about the dance and some of that C.S. Lewis and Timothy Keller stuff, right? So when God created Adam and Eve, their spirit, soul, and body worked in perfect harmony. That's kind of where I was going when I got sidetracked. So thank you for bringing us back around. Um, they didn't even realize they had a body. There was such alignment. That everything was so in tuned and, and, and working as, as God intended for it to work. Um, so sin brought chaos within the inner workings of the triune man. So now you've got the spirit and the flesh working against each other. You got the the, the thinking, the mind, emotions, and will trapped in between the two. And um, of course, as is the case, even as important and as powerful as your spirit is, two against one is going to override. Two against one is going to override. So the idea is when your soul and your spirit line up and agree with God and His Word together, then the flesh is no match. But when our set, so, gosh, there's just so many things. So Romans 8, right, stay where you are in John 10, Romans 8, if you set your mind on the things of the flesh, you're going to go after those things. And if you go after those things, you'll die. Not spiritually, physically die. If you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, you'll follow after the things of the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but you will fulfill the lust of your spirit, the desires of your spirit to do great things for your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Right? Okay. So again, this. You were talking the other day, meeting I have with some folks, and they were talking about the different ways people learn. And to be honest with you, I'm really not sure. I, I like to learn a lot of different ways, but but obviously, visually is 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 one for me. Um, And this helps me visually connect with what the Bible calls my heart, my heart, okay? And so if we're going to operate in faith, remember, Abraham, the Bible says in Romans 4 that he refused to consider how old he was and how infertile, how unable Sarah was to have children. He refused to let that be a factor in his thinking, you see. As long as he allowed that to contaminate his thoughts, then it was was basically neutralizing his ability to believe with the heart. But when he got his thinking into alignment with and into agreement with God and his word and his promises to him and what God had actually said to him, God didn't say, Abraham, I will make you the father of many nations. He said, Abraham, I have made you. Abraham heard will make because he, wasn't, he didn't have a father, he didn't have a kid yet, so it must mean he will make. But one day Abraham, I think the Holy Spirit obviously helped him there, right? He says, God didn't say I'll make you. He was waiting to become something that he already was. So what he lined his thoughts with and even had his name changed to father of a multitude, that's what we're doing, absolutely that's what we're doing. That's why he's the, he's the example for us to follow. Um, But obviously, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, even to help us with it. So, if Abraham could make that journey, if Sarah could make that journey, then how much more can we, having a born-again spirit and the Holy Spirit helping us, and the Scriptures written for us, um, to help us in that in that effort? Right. Amen. Sometimes faith can be very frustrating, and you know, part of what we're doing on Wednesday nights right now is, you know, we're trying to realize that it's not. A mechanical process. Sometimes people try to make it a mechanical process, but there are things that we can do to get in faith or on a pathway of faith and 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 remain on that pathway in spite of Satan's efforts to try to draw us off of it. But it's always going to begin with the thoughts. Thoughts, then words, then actions. Amen. So Satan's trying to get us to align our thoughts our words, and our actions with the things of the flesh. Holy Spirit's trying to help us align our thoughts, words, and actions with the things of the Spirit. Amen. That's why it's so important that we have the Word of God because the Word of God, these are His thoughts written down for us so we can take His words and meditate on them and have His thoughts operating in our lives. In other words, because He's given us His Word, we can think like He thinks. And if we can think like it's, like he thinks, we can have the emotions, or let's say it another way, we can feel what he feels. That's why Jesus said, I've told you these things so you can have my joy. I've told you these things so you can have my peace. In other words, Jesus is saying, these thoughts came from my Father to me, now from me to you. If you think these things, you'll have the same joy in you that he has in him, and you'll have the same peace in you that he has in him. My joy in you, his peace in you, overflowing. Isaiah said it this way, God will keep you in perfect peace if you set, fix your mind on him. See how this, all this starts coming together and you start seeing it develop out here. If you hadn't figured it out by now, we've said this a time or two, okay? If you're not born again, then this need, we need to get born again. But after we're born again, the real target of discipleship is, is the renewing of the mind. So much of religion and what's called Christianity today, People get born again, then we just rail against people's uh, carnal behavior and fuss at them for what they're doing wrong and what they need to do better and try to make them feel guilty for not coming to church more and blah, 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 right? In other words, we're trying to address these carnal behaviors. It's like we go from here and jump completely over the soul to just, you know, addressing, you know, the behavior in people's lives without ever understanding, you know, from the heart spring forth the issues. And this part, obviously, God has taken care of through the new birth. This part is a work in progress. I like to say it this way. Past completed work, ongoing, present tense work, future work. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it under the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, He's eternally committed to you. Emotionally connected to you, enthusiastically concerned for you. I just like saying that because it's true and because it just, thank God for it. All right. So are you still with me? We're going too fast? Questions? Okay. Well said, brother. That's exactly right. Until, until the director steps in from stage right and claps the thing and says it's over, or better known as the trumpet sounding. That's, and then the Bible says that the bodies of those who died in Christ will come out of the graves first, and then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air. So <coughs> even one place it says that the seas, the oceans will give up their dead people that were buried at sea. I'm not trying to be gruesome, okay? You realize people who are buried at sea are eaten by crabs and fish and so forth. Right? And then, how do we say this gently? Then their, their physical bodies are processed and passed out the other end of those animals and those animals die and so forth and so on. But every cell of the human body, no matter where it is or how it was processed or where it landed in the ocean, in the ground, people who have had died tragically that you know have literally been hard to find all the parts of them to bury I'm, I'm again I'm mean going to be graphic but I'm just trying to show you all of that coming up out right and that's you know because I think there's a lot of reasons we talk a lot about the sanctity of life we see how much father values this this isn't disposable you know it's, it's, it's going to be uh, traded in for a new one but you know, this part of you created by God and, um, and, you know, will be handled, how do we say it, respectfully. So it's a great question. And so the Bible says this is way, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be present with the Lord. Um, and death, anybody going to tell me what it means? Separation. separation. Death means separation. So spiritual death is when we're separated from God. Physical death is when our spirit and soul are separated from our physical body. It doesn't mean non-existent. It means separation. Or we could even. Yes, ma'am, because he is a spirit, right? So we hear spirit, we think spooky, fog bank, you know. No, no, he, it's, spirit, spirit is matter. It's just a different form of matter than what we understand as physical matter. Okay? Different matter. altogether. <laughs> All right, praise God. So, John 10, you found it yet? I gave you 20 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. I know you're there. Um, John chapter 10, uh, Jesus is talking to a group of people, and um, it's, again, another one of these verses that we've looked at before. We said it was the chief justice of the scripture of the Supreme Court and the Word of God, right? But um, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly, all right? So, Jesus is speaking to people who are alive, and yet he says to them, I've come to give you life. Think about that for a moment. I know it's simple, but think about it for a moment. Jesus said, you know, um, man, I've got good news for you, Jaden. I've come to give you life. It's like, well, dude, he's already alive, Pastor Mark. Okay. So, in other words, the idea is either Jesus was confused, which we know is not the case, or he's talking about. A different kind of life, or I like to say it this way, life of a different kind or life on a different level, and it is the latter, life of a different kind, life on a different level. Now, if you tire of all of these, let's try brown, that would be a good color code here since we use red for the heart. Um, I hope you don't tire of all these uh, Greek words, um, but that word there is the word bios. And um, I strategically wrote it over the top of the head of the stick man that represents your physical body. And I just decided to use brown because I thought it would be good since that part of us was from the dust of the earth. But these two words need to be understood here. The word zoe, and that word is Z-O-E. And remember God, of course, and the arrows represent connection and direction. So God who is a spirit connected to your born again spirit and from that connection flows zoe. This word in the English Bible is translated life. Okay, This word in the English Bible is translated life. In other words, bios is translated English life. Zoe translated into English life. But obviously these words do not mean the same bios is think biology biologics whatever bios is speaking of physical life or the life that is in the flesh okay zoe is talking about the life and nature of god it is a completely different form or kind of life or life on another level so when jesus said i have come to give you life he didn't say to uh, those people, I've come to give you bios, but he said, I've come to give you zoe. Because those folks already had bios, it was zoe that they had lost, and we lost that when Adam separated us all from God, or when we died spiritually. Yes, Are you following what I'm saying? He separate. so let's go back to it. Death is separation, sin brings death, When Adam sinned, he separated him and all of us from God, making him spiritually dead, but biologically alive. So Jesus came and said these amazing words. I have come to those of you who are biologically alive to give you zoe. I've come to give you the life and nature of God. Now, how's he going to give it to us? Well, first of all, he's going to give it to us eternally, Right and abundantly, so he's saying that I'm going to give you the life and nature of God in overflowing abundance and without end. That's good news, all right. That's eternal life. That's abundant life. Abundant means uh, super abundance, overflowing, uh, more than will ever be needed, and then some times ten. Okay. So he said, I've come to give you eternal life, everlasting life, and I've come to give it to you in overflowing abundance. Something that we had lost from the actions of the first Adam that we're going to have made available to us again through the actions of the last Adam. Jesus is referred to in Scripture as the last Adam. Okay, so far so good? Now, you don't have to turn there, but if you're taking notes, you can write this down. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Um, That would be 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. So he's talking about a treasure in an earthen vessel. And the earthen vessel that he's referring to is um, the physical body. The treasure that he's referring to is not just the born-again spirit, but the born-again spirit that has become one spirit with God's spirit. Now, our born-again spirit, which would be a treasure in and of itself, has become one with God's spirit, and that is the treasure that every born-again person has inside of an earthen vessel. Are you with me? Hmm. Let's go down this road one real quick, real, real quick. So, the Pharisees, always looking for some way to criticize Jesus, and even in this instance, those who were disciples of John the Baptist got caught up in this with them, and they said to Jesus, they said, Jesus, you know, we fast all the time. We, we are like champion fasters. We're some of the most dedicated fasters that have ever lived on planet Earth. But we noticed that your disciples don't really fast that often, or maybe not at all. we you know, kind of suspect of even that, right? No, Those trying to pick at him, trying to criticize, trying to point out. And so Jesus says, ah, you know, no, nobody fasts when you're having a wedding feast. And the bridegroom's here, And so who would fast when the bridegroom's present? Speaking of himself. So we're, so we're having a good time. He said, they's coming, they's coming when they will fast. They's, they's coming when, when, when they will, and you know that we're the they right now, okay? Then he said this, then he said this. He said, because no man puts new wine in an old wineskin, right? No, no, nobody puts new wine in, a, in, a, in an old wineskin. The context of that statement was in response to a criticism for Jesus' disciples not fasting. Now I'm offering to you that Jesus was, once again, just speaking so far over their heads because they were so religiously minded. They were not even considering what He was saying. But I'm offering to you that this is exactly what Father has done. He has put the new wine of His Holy Spirit in the old wineskin of our physical body. And Jesus said this in context with fasting, because fasting is a key way that we keep our flesh under subjection and keep it from ruling over us. You follow what I'm saying? So when, when we say a treasure in an earthen vessel, we see that there is a vulnerability, even you know, praise God, the, the weak link, let's just say it that way, as, as important as the, the mind is in our continued growth and development, you know, it's still the weak link here is, is the flesh. Greater greater threat to you than the devil will ever be is your flesh. Amen. That's true. All right. So, he did put a treasure in an earthen vessel. He did put the new wine of his Holy Spirit in the old wineskin of our flesh. But because the Holy Spirit's there to help us, amen, we see that the, the Holy Spirit can be preserved within us until we have the new wineskin to go with the new wine that we currently have. Amen? All right, let me, let me try to cover a few more things here. Oh, we still got a few minutes. You still, are you good? You seem a little subdued tonight. Praise God. I don't know. Is that all right? Listening? Okay. Amen. Thank you for that, sister. All right. So let's, let's, do, um, let's do another one here. Um, Jesus, I'm sorry, well, we could say Jesus, but God the Father, um, God in general, however this information came to them. Um, Adam and Eve were told that they could eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden. Now, I've really tried to correct myself because for years of preaching and teaching, I said it this way. I said, God told them that um, they can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That, he did say that, but before he ever said that, he said, every tree in this garden is yours to enjoy, except for one. <laughs> See, we, religion puts the, it's kind of like why do we refer to him as a prodigal son when the is about a son who was restored? It's because we still relate to him as a prodigal ourselves, as an outsider ourselves, as, as opposed to restored? Amen, Romy? Why do we say, God said they can't eat from that tree? Because that's kind of how we look at things. We always look at what God told us not to do, what we couldn't do, what we couldn't have, as opposed to what he said we could do, what we can't have, right? He told them first, you can have everything in here but that. Okay? So, because we're told not to do it, our flesh. But, you know, I, I know that's probably part, but I think, I think the, I could be convinced, I guess, but my, my, my heart tells me that that is in us because of Adam's fall, but that initially it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, you told me that. Because remember, he had to deceive, Satan had to deceive Eve into, into eating that. And it was when he finally got her to look at it in a different light, okay? And remember, we walk by faith, not by the way things look, seem, or feel. And so when Lucifer tempted her, Satan tempted her, um, she immediately spit out the rules, right? She immediately said, oh, no, the day that we eat um, of, of that tree, we will surely die. And, of course, he went from there, oh, you won't surely die, and it's, it's something that's good for you, it'll make you like God. So, in other words, he's trying to get her to look at it from a different perspective than God's perspective. Remember what God said, who told you you were naked? When they came, they were hiding, why are you hiding? Hiding because we're naked. God says, who told you you were naked? God knew the answers to all these questions. He was, he was asking them for their benefit and for ours, right? Um, because the, the emphasis here is that for the first time in human history, people have ideas about themselves that didn't come from God, and this is a dangerous thing. Here would be, because they ate the fruit, right? And obviously something happened to them. They, I'm sure they felt different. They looked different in their own eyes and estimation. But they were still breathing. you, are you right. I, I taught a class a couple of weeks ago, and the title was simply, "How bad is it?" Right? know <laughs> it's like, okay, so, you know, it's like, okay, man, how bad is it? You know, I don't. You're not bleeding. Am I bleeding? I don't see blood. So anyway. But they knew something to happen, but they weren't dead in the sense of laying there with two X's on their eyes, you know, like some cartoon or something. Okay. So this, in the, day of, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. A literal translation of it is this. That's Genesis 2.17. The literal translation is, in dying, you shall surely die. Not just the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. A literal translation of the way the Hebrew is structured there. In dying, you shall surely die. Okay? So, I'm going I'm to point to the dry erase board. Are you ready? You probably already know where I'm going to point, right? In dying, you will surely die. So, the idea, of course, is that sin separated from, them from God. So, they died spiritually. But they maintained... A biological existence. I illustrated this one time in the cabinet shop. It was easier to do in those days because just had to walk outside. You know, for those of you don't never heard the story. This church started in my cabinet shop about two blocks that way, and um, so we had set up a sanctuary in the showroom, and then we moved out to half the the shop area, warehouse area, and so it was easy to do in those days. What I did is I went and got a I got a, a random orbital sander. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a it's a sander that spins this way, and it and it doesn't spin in the same orbit every time. It r- orbits randomly, so when you sand, it won't leave as deep a swirl marks and stuff. Anyway, way too much information. All right, so, so what I did was I had it kind of hit up there on the stage, plugged into the wall, and I and I just reached over and I grabbed it and held it up in the air and just pulled the trigger wide open. And, Of course, it's loud. Right? <laughs> So I'm just preaching along, act like I don't know what I'm doing, and I'll go too far, and of course you know what happened, it unplugged from the wall, in dying, that's the way it sounds, right? You know what that sound was? It was your lifespan, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because, Disconnected from the source, physical life is but a vapor. It's only fleeting at best, at best, 120 years. Right? Okay. But so the idea is when he says, if you eat up, you'll die, he says, dying, disconnect from the life source. This life source is not eternal. This life source is, this one is not. So in dying, he said, you will surely die. Now, oh, praise God. We got time to do this. A few more minutes. Everybody good? Let's turn over to 1 John. I've been trying to uh, praise God. I've been trying to make up some time. And I, I know that sounds odd, but there's just some things I want us to get to. And so, sometimes I'm having you turn to one scripture while I'm talking about another. I'm not, I don't mean to confuse you with that. I'm just... Hey, let's 1 John chapter 1. We'll stop there for a minute. Um, we're laying a foundation with an understanding of spirit, soul, and body that's going to enable me to explain some very important things to you. One of which is... Your new birth, okay, and of course we know that this is the part of us that's been born again. This is the part of us that's become a new creation. Your spirit, your your body did not become every bit new, and although the sal- your salvation affected you in the part of you that is your soul, um, it it is a uh, again um, not the part of you that became every bit whole or every bit new. This is the part of you where all things became new. Um, You're born again spirit, okay? So there's a lot of confusion today in the body of Christ and has been for years. And as I've pointed out to you, um, the greatest confusion revolves around two key things, the two things that Jesus came to do for us. Jesus came to take away our sins and he came to baptize us in the Holy Ghost. And of course, the denominational lines that exist in our world today that have brought division to Christ's body in the earth, um, involve different beliefs and opinions about those two main truths, okay? In other words, what do people believe about salvation? What do people believe about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What do they, what do they believe about, you know, all the, everything that has to do with those two subjects? So, for instance, um, the Bible, uh, people take the Bible and from it they, they come to a conclusion that once you've been saved, you will always be saved, and then other people read the same Bible and they come to a different conclusion, that even though you may have been saved in the past, if you turn away or if you commit sin or if you whatever, um, very hard for them to quantify what that looks like. Okay, um, but they say, well, you know, you you no longer saved, right? Um, and and then you know you have folks who say, well. Um, it's, it's not that they're no longer saved. Somewhere in the middle of that, right, is um, they just thought they were saved and they weren't. You're right? Because, you know, amen, I they, they were saved, but they've been acting a fool. And so, you know, because people are saved don't act a fool. People are saved act like us. <laughs> people are saved act like us. And uh, so, w- but, but we believe once saved, always saved. But since they're not like us, uh, then we're just going to say they never were saved didn't take for them. You what know, didn't work. Yet. Who knows? Maybe they weren't. Then you got folks, the real extreme, they just weren't predestined. Just weren't predestined. Right? So people are all over the map. I'm being silly. People are all over the map with these things. All right? And, and if you've ever had these kind of discussions or beliefs or believe one thing in the past and believe something different today, you will know that, at least in part, every person that has a different opinion or argument about this has their own set of Bible verses to back up their position. Right? Man, they, people go to Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10. Man, my Pentecostal brothers love them verses, right, try to shoot down grace. Right, you know. Uh, then, of course, my Baptist brothers love to go to Romans, right? Nothing shall separate me, you know, it's all that stuff. Right, so we just, yeah, we love all that stuff, right? And, and so again, I'm, amen. Here's the reality, you ready? The Bible that you have in front of you tonight, it talks about, Those who have been saved, the structure of the language means a past completed work. Okay. Same Bible talks about people who are being saved. Work in progress. Same Bible talks about people who will one day be saved. Future work. Some would say the jury's still out. People who misunderstand will be saved they think that um, it won't really be decided who's saved and who's not until the very end. After all, God's got to kind of take a look at, you know, what's to say the jury's still out? (laughs) I'm laughing about these things, you better cry, okay, these crazy beliefs that people have, right? So which one is it, Pastor Mark, or, you're laughing about this, sir, and we don't find this funny, which one of those do you believe? I believe them all three. I believe them all three. Let's watch this very carefully, okay? Spirit has been saved, past completed work. Soul is being saved, an ongoing present tense work. Body will be saved. Your salvation will be complete one day when you trade in your physical body for a glorified body. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not it's not one or the other, it's not either or, it's, it's all of the above. It's we have been, we are being, we will be. Have been, are being, will be. You have been born of Jesus' seed, you have become like Him, you have been made His righteousness. You are the same, you have the same right standing, have become the same right standing, before God in the eyes of God is Jesus himself. In other words, there's, there's nothing more here to be done. The only way you could improve this level of your existence as a born-again person is for Jesus to somehow get better than he is. And that, that's just silliness, right? So this part is a completed work. This is an ongoing work. This is a future work. So, in 1 John... Let me just give you a couple of verses, okay? First John one eight says this: If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth's not in us. Okay. Now, obviously, John is 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 addressing some things in the church. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday. He's at this point he's the elder statesman in the church. You know, he he's he's Papa John. You know, I mean, not the pizza guy, but but the the older guy. Remember, he's he's taking care of 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 Mary Jesus' mother he has survived multiple attacks on his life, multiple even efforts to execute him and they couldn't execute him so they exiled him to Patmos uh, think Alcatraz with no guards and no buildings um, and he was in the spirit of the Lord's day and wrote the book of Revelation uh, you, you follow what I'm saying, I mean, this was just John John the beloved, such a revelation of God's love, perfect love casts out no fear, there was no fear because there was no fear they couldn't hurt him, they couldn't they tried to kill him. They couldn't kill him. So he has some insight. He walked with Jesus. He laid his head on Jesus' lap. I mean, he, he was tight with Jesus. Perhaps the closest person to Jesus when Jesus was alive on planet Earth of, of anyone else. Remember, his own family thought Jesus was a little nutty at one point. <laughs> but, John, <laughs> but John, yes, they do, sister. But John was right there with him. All right, so th- I'm just trying to give you a little background in what's going on here. So John's addressing some things. Obviously, he's going to be addressing the love commands, the two, th- the two commandments that we are to pursue, um, to, that we are to take as seriously as any Old Testament believer who took that law serious. We're to take the love command serious. Love God all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So John says, if we say you have no sin, you deceive yourself, and the truth's not in us. All right? But turn over with me now to 1 John chapter 3. Two chapters over in verse 9. He says this, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed, capital H, God's seed, remains in that person. And he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Now, if you've never seen this verse or heard this verse or read this verse, I'll give you a minute to kind of catch your breath. Because this is some pretty serious stuff right here. Not to mention that it just seems like what we read in 1 John 1 contradicts it, but we'll address that in a moment. He's saying that whoever has been born of God does not sin, for God's seed remains in him. In other words, the seed of God's life. Who is that seed? Jesus is that seed. His seed remains in that person, and because God's seed remains in that person, it's not just that that person doesn't sin or feels bad when they do. He says that he cannot sin. It's impossible for him to sin or for her to sin. Come on now, take a breath. Impossible to sin. He's going to say later in Colossians that you can't even be accused of sinning. You can't even have anybody blame you for sinning what what so because he has been born of god now this is another one of those things that until you understand spirit soul and body you won't know what to do with this you'll think the bible's contradicting itself you'll think john was getting old and confused or what have you but the reality of it is this all right you ready if you say you never commit a sin you're not being honest you're not telling the truth if you say you never make a mistake, you never give in to your flesh, you never do things that God doesn't want you to do, or they're displeasing to Him. Remember, if it's not a faith that's sin, if it's not a faith that's time wasted traveling in a direction towards an inferior life, but if you say you never do it, you're not being honest. Okay. That's talking about your flesh. But if you've been born of God, the seed of God's life has been planted here. And because his life now abides in you, it has made you bulletproof where sin is concerned. There are people who develop all kinds of strange doctrines over where the Bible says that the evil one cannot touch you. And so people surmise incorrectly that if the evil one can't, touch me, then if something bad or negative happens in my life, it has to be God, because God said the evil one can't touch me, so God must be the one who's touching these tender places in my life and harming me and hurting me. No, no, it's crazy. This is the part that the devil can't touch. The devil. To, To just say the devil can't touch me, right? Well then, what about all those crazy thoughts he puts in your mind? What about even when we still cooperate with him instead of God in our flesh? I mean, I'm not here, obviously I straight over into that, just jumped up in my spirit. But, you know, this is the part of you that has become one with God. So, can the devil touch God? Can the devil go up there and punch God in the face? Absolutely not. And so, this part of you has been preserved blameless. Yes, brother. Okay. Well, it's a great question and obviously you're, you're in it to win it as far as these classes are concerned. It's going to take me a few hours to really answer that question for you to be able to not only know it but tell anybody that I'd ever asked you in the future. Okay. But those who will wind up in the lake of fire are those who rejected Jesus' offer to take the gift of that he paid a high price for them. In other words, the Bible says that those who have not called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, that condemnation still abides on them. Wrath still abides on them. Wrath in this, there's different words translated wrath, but the wrath in this particular instance is um, eternal damnation in hell, okay? So the only way a person can be born again and therefore become God's son or daughter, and therefore wind up in heaven one day and not hell, is to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus has given. It's not based upon our behavior. It's not based upon what we do. It's based upon what's been done for us. Okay, It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So even if someone who has been born again still struggles with areas of sin in their life, it doesn't change that this is a completed work this is an ongoing work and this is a future work. Does that make sense? Okay. One way that we'll explain it, I know I'm out of time. One way we'll, one way we'll explain it is this, okay? Can a person who's never been born again ever do enough good works to get to heaven? No. I mean, I, we, I could preach that just about any church in Alabama and would get the same answer and maybe even get a few amens, all right? So, Why is that the case? It's because our behavior can't change our nature. What we do can't change who we be. And we're not human doings, we're human beings. Okay? So what you do doesn't determine who you be, but who you be determines what you do. I get excited here, I've got to reel it in. All right. So... If what we do here can't change who we are here, why do we believe that we can't do enough good to make this part of us good? Only God can make this part of us good. But why do we think then if we do one bad thing it makes this part of us bad? See the behavior can't the behavior can't change this. If if it just boiled down to who did the most good or who did more good than they did bad, that's how we get to heaven, then Jesus died for no reason. So, I'm, I, you're asking great questions, brother, and if, if you didn't ask them, somebody else in here has them and is wondering, so I'm not, it's, it, amen, I'm excited. This, we're leading up to, I think, what is, I've had so many people over the years, even I preach these things in there, or teach them in here, I've so many people over the years, they said, Pastor Mark, I've been, I've been saved for years, but I didn't understand what happened to me when I was, okay? So, when you called upon the name of the Lord to be born again, the Bible says the old person that you were, here, not here, not here, here, that that person died with Christ, buried in an unmarked grave, and God, He didn't refurbish your old spirit. He didn't forgive your old spirit. He didn't cleanse your old spirit and say, let's try better next time. He buried it and gave you a brand new one and then made your brand new one in His spirit one spirit. Your union with him is not based upon your performance. It's based upon what Jesus has done for you. Okay, So this is why you can't sin here. The real you can't sin. If you're born again, the real you can't sin. See, again, if you think of yourself, if you think of yourself as the body, you'll think every time you sin, you sin. Paul said, when I sin, it's not me that does it. It's not denial. It's, it's truth. It's wisdom. We've been set free from it. That's why the Bible says he doesn't keep record of it anymore. It's, I mean, it just, it it's, it's bulletproof. You're, people, again, I, I, everybody's like, oh man, you know, I'm going to make it to heaven. If you're born again, you're already there. That's not to say you have an answer for... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Heather. Keep me back on track. All right. So, spiritually, already in heaven. So, the judgment for the born again believer is not whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. Judgment for the born again, but your sins already been judged. What do you think the cross was for right? That was Jesus taking the blame and the punishment for everything I ever have done or ever will do wrong So that I could be set free from that Okay, so one sacrifice for all sin all time Right so this sins not even a factor here anymore now does sin affect my quality of life Does sin affect my ability to fulfill my destiny and purpose on planet Earth. Can sin end my life early? Yes, yes, and yes. Okay? But who I am here is not based upon what I do, good or bad. It's based upon what He's done for me, what He gave to me. So my sin's already been judged and punished. The penalty for my sin has already been paid. That's why I'm free from it. So my judgment will be when I stand before God, what did I do with what He gave me? Oh, we don't have to atone for it, brother. Jesus, are, Jesus atoned for it, right? Jesus atoned for it, yep. So that's already been, that's already been paid, even the things that we did wrong, right? Um, things that, that we missed out on, okay? Okay. Um, I, it would take me a long time to. It would take me a long time to back this statement up, but this is what it boils down to: How well did you love? How well did you love? I mean, there, the, yeah, everybody. Everybody says there'll be, there'll be no tears in heaven. That's not true. The Bible says there will be tears, and that God will dry them. There's going to be tears, and I think you're onto something there. I th- I think the tears are going to be when we realize what we could have done, the people we could have affected, the things that we could have accomplished for the our, that yeah. It's, it, thank God, has the Holy Spirit working in us right, preparing us for that day. But it re- I think it's all going to come down to how well did you love. I, I really, I mean, I, I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but it really does come down, um, you know, uh, you know, to to that, and um, and I know there are people who say, well, man. I don't care nothing about that, Pastor Mark, as long as I make it in. Well, you're saying that now. You're saying that now. But I I don't know how this works, but the parables Jesus gave, he said the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, those who took what God gave them and used it to its fullest extent for his glory, they were given cities. (laughs) I was like, whatever, I'm out. They were given cities. You know, you do know we're coming back to this earth, right? We're going to be there. Then we're coming back to a new heaven, a new earth. Amen. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for life and peace. Lord, thank you for taking um, just words spoken tonight from your Holy Spirit, your word, Lord, driving them deep into our hearts and minds. Lord, we've covered a lot of things. I thank you that you, Holy Spirit, are our teacher and you're bringing these things back to our remembrance. Or the different parts that each one needs to focus on meditate on for themselves i thank you for showing them that we thank you for a great service tonight at heritage in jesus name amen i love you thank you for being here good things coming